0: Welcome to On The Road, the number one Australian trucking podcast made for Aussie truckies by Aussie truckies. We're an independent voice in Australian trucking and proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Today we've got to catch up with old mate Bob McMillan for an extended something to talk about, a bit of back and forth between me and him, talking about some of the subjects of transport today. Catch up with Sam Hughes, the travelling jackaroo, who's over in Western Australia at the moment. He's on his way back east, finally, we'll see how he's going and see how much money he's raised for the rfds and dolly's dream and the drought angels and he's got brad christmas from copper line for a bit of an interview we've got a couple of tracks there we've got the news let's get on with the show I'm Yogi from Outback Chuckers, and when I'm on the road, we're always on the road doing stuff out on the road, but when we're on the road, we're listening to the on the road. Right? <laughs> Good day, everyone. I've got young Sam using me. And I say young, uh, only, only because the, the lad's young enough to be my own son, but anyway, Sam, you've been driving around the country, we thought we'd catch up with you. and. Find out what's going on with the travelling Jackaroo. Find out how you're doing. I was supposed to catch up with you in Port Hedland, but I left before you got there. COVID mucked us up. So where are you now, Sam?
1: Uh, at the moment, I'm in a small town in Western Australia called Waruna. Righto. Um, it's about, I think, 100k south of Perth. Right. And uh, yeah, I've been camped up here. We've had some repairs on the tractor. We did a rear main seal gasket, so we've just been doing that. And yep. Hopefully, I'll be on the road again shortly.
0: The boys up in Gerald and only just changed your motor for you, didn't they? We did, yes.
1: And the uh, motor's absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. But uh, there was an old seal. It wasn't the actual actual rear main seal, but it was actually the gasket that surrounded it. Yep. And that gasket gave way. Well, the motor hadn't really been working for about 20 years. It had been sitting in the shed. Yeah. So um, be, be just the stress of getting it under load and getting it hot m- yep. must have blown the gasket out. So put a new gasket in, and she's back and running, and... Yeah, now we're just tidying up a few little electrical things and should be back on the road soon.
0: Back on the road soon. You've been travelling around with the circus still, Sam? Is that- Just about to head off, actually, from them.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I've been with the circus for almost a year now, actually. and right. uh, Yeah, so that's been a bit of fun.
0: Rattling the tins at the circus. What have you been doing with the circus? You've been helping them put up the tents and things. I'm sure you've made some friends with the circus crowd.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, there's a lot of work to do around the place. You're never not doing anything. Um, but it is a really good little community and I felt very privileged to be able to be amongst them. And Yeah, they're good people.
0: So you're heading south from Waruna, You're going to head round the back down, round through Albany and Esperance and all that and back up to Norseman. Is that the plan?
1: Uh, Well, the plan from here is to go back to Perth. Okay. And then to go Perth straight across to Kalgoorlie. Right. And from Kalgoorlie down to Norseman and then across. I was going to do down to Albany and Esperance and all that yeah but I've unfortunately don't have the time anymore because of these breakdowns because I've got to get across to Queensland I'm going to head across to Port Augusta and up the Birdsville track you're right I've got to get across there because there's a show run that starts in Queensland in the later stages of May which um every last time I did the show run I raised $50,000 in two months yeah So it's worth the effort but uh yeah, it means I just have to go past a few places, unfortunately.
0: Where does this show run start and where does it sort of finish? Does it come south, does it? For me, it would start in uh,
1: Longreach and it would be heading across to the coast, Rockhampton, up to Cairns, then back across to Mount Isa. And from Mount Isa, I'm going to head back across to the Territory and then shoot down the centre through Alice Springs and meet up again at the end of the year, probably with the circus, or might be by myself and spend Christmas around Tassie. Uh, yeah, early next year, get going across to Sydney town.
0: It's taken on a bit of more of a, uh, an adventure than just a quick drive around the country. has not it?
1: Yeah. To an extent. Sure has.
0: It's certainly not been what you first started when we, when we first spoke to you a couple of years ago. Yep. You were heading off just to travel around the country and raise some money for the Royal Flying Doctors, for Dolly's Dream and for the Drought Angels. Yes. You've been doing that all the way around and you've, had the COVID thing in the middle of it, you got stuck in the territory there and last time I sort of spoke to you, you were you were really up up there in the territory. I was working in the Pilbara driving the big uh, road trains over there and we were going to catch up when you came down through the Pilbara and obviously the, uh, the COVID thing and Mr McGowan changed the rules on us all and I ended up coming back to the East Coast and we missed each other.
1: Yeah, that's a bit of a bugger, eh? <laughs>
0: that's a bit of a bugger. When are we going to have a chance to meet up with each other? You, you tell me, you plan to drive across the Sydney Harbour Bridge one day?
1: Yes, when I'm going through Sydney, through uh hell or high water, I might get arrested for it, I don't know, but yeah. if I do, it'll be bloody hilarious. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm hoping to go over the Sydney Harbour Bridge when I go through Sydney.
0: I reckon we could probably organise a highway patrol escort for you. They've got a bit of a sense of humour, the highway patrol guys here in New South Wales, occasionally.
1: No, oh, occasionally, righto. Eh? <laughs>
0: And I know the NHVR aren't too bad sometimes.
1: Oh, well, there's a few things with ag vehicles. You know, you just got to work with them and usually goes all right.
0: So you've been driving around a bloody grader, mate. What's the story yes, with
1: that? Well, uh, ah, well, I went for a bit of a spin on one. The uh, local, one of the local mobs who are looking after the tractor, the mechanics here said, um, do you want to come have a drive, have a go? So I went, yeah. you know, give it a crack. But uh, yeah, it was a bit of fun, very enjoyable.
0: To uh, too big to hook up a couple of trailers behind a grader though eh?
1: well you you're funny you should say that because I spent the last few days looking at the NHVR and trying to work out what I can do with them and mm. uh, you, every state's different of course of course, but, uh, of course yeah you can you can tow a road train in South Australia with one, but Queensland don't know what to do. So Yeah.
0: Well every time I see a picture of Slim with the trailer, there seems as though there's something else added on the top. Surely you've run out of room there now, mate. There's nothing else that you can put on there, is there?
1: I reckon I'm getting pretty close, put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's going all right. There's a few extra pieces on there now but uh
0: Right oh so you still sleep in the aeroplane from time to time or?
1: Yeah mate. Just um either in the plane or the trailer, one of the two Depending on, um, yeah, it's the weather, how things are going, mm. you know, because you don't want to sleep in the plane in the middle of a hailstorm, obviously, because it mm. sounds like sounds like a skeleton having a wank in a biscuit tin, <laughs> you up all night, so uh, not a good idea to be in the plane all night. But um, oh dear, idea. Oh yeah.
0: <laughs> and how's bitsa going? How long have you had bitsa for now? Oh
1: shit. Oh, sorry, I shouldn't swear. Oh. Um, I've had bitsa <laughs> for about.
0: You're, oh, you're having a wank God. in a biscuit tin before i think we can get away with that
1: shit. Yeah, i think we cover that but uh <laughs> yeah well um i've had bits of probably a year and a half or nearly two years now i suppose
0: yeah she, she was she sort of came along pretty early on in the pieces she obviously your best mate and good friend and and all that sort of thing
1: yeah she's pretty good Eh, she keeps you company mm. um she'll still carry on every now and then you know she's about not being quite so happy with her accommodation or vice yeah. versa
0: well, pups will do so, that to you every time won't
1: they oh yeah but she's got a i got soft and got her a big bloody kennel one of those ones that split in half so oh, every right. time I'm somewhere i've got to pull this wretched thing out of the back of my camp in the on the suzuki yeah. but uh yeah she she doesn't mind it so it's good bit of comfort for
0: her so you've had a few mechanical issues with the tractor and you've had a lot of good people along the way help you out as far as getting bits and donating some time and things like that. The thing's damn near at a a, – apart from the chassis rails, it's probably nearly been replaced, hasn't it, on the way so far?
1: (laughs) Oh, There's a few things that are still the same, Mm. but, um, yeah, well – in Bury Springs, we had a, a heap of work done on it um, with Barry Springs Mechanical. And after that, heading down the coast, we had a fair bit of work done at Geraldton recently, including the motor swap, which mm. was donated by Geraldton Towing, which is fantastic because now we've got a four-cylinder phaser motor in it, which is 110 horses, which is uh, quite the uh, difference from the old 65 horsepower, I can Ooh, tell you that much. The power. Yeah, it's good for going up hills, put it that way. Yep. <laughs> Just absolutely pulls, but, yeah. Um, yeah, as far as it goes, you just got to keep an eye on a few things, you know, keep the maintenance up, and it's normally pretty reliable.
0: How are you going with the with the truckies and uh, and that giving you uh, – no one's giving you a hard time on the road when you're driving around?
1: Nah, truckies are some of the nicest people I meet because most truck drivers have a UHF and know how to use them.
0: Yeah, that's right
1: unlike a certain group of people, which uh, I'm not going to name because if I name them, then I'll get shot. But they, they participate in driving caravans and (sighs) they scare, they scare the bejesus out of me. Like, People ask me a fair bit, you know, what scares you, the big road trains? And I was like, no, because they're professional drivers, most of them. You can call them up on the UHF and have a chat with them and pull over for them because I'll generally pull over for triples and quads. Yeah, I'll pull them right off the road and let them go so they don't have to worry about overtaking me. Yeah. Uh, singles normally get around all right. Doubles, it depends. But, um, yeah, if I see a caravan in rear rearview mirror, I normally take a lot more caution and a lot wider berth, which which is funny when you consider I'll do, you know, less um, overtaking concerns for a b-double than i will for a caravan
0: <laughs> oh, well that is what it is so, mm, well they have they have hit me twice oh have you you've been hit twice by caravans
1: yes wow that's not something i really well one of them hit my mirror hmm. they were that bloody close to me that i nearly dove into the passenger seat on yep. the bench seat but yep. took out my mirror off the front of their caravan back in queensland but yep. i got them back for it because they sped off but they put a great big huge scratch down the side of their caravan from my mirror strut yeah so got him back for that and the other ones it was in the territory and they passed me going pretty quick and uh i think they would have had about two or three ton on the back back end of that caravan because it was swinging around like a mad woman possessed yeah it actually just kissed my caravan going past it was swinging that badly left and right uh yeah there's a few little close calls with them
0: so how's mum and dad going mate are they obviously they missing you you miss home
1: yeah, yeah, they're um mum and dad are good. They're back home in Queensland still. I spoke speak to them quite a bit, you know, every couple of days or so, just to check up, see how they're going.
2: And
1: yeah, yeah it's all very interesting because I didn't see my family for a year. Yeah. And then I flew home up just after Christmas, and Dad got hospitalised with COVID. Yeah. Uh flew home to see him, then flew back, then had to fly back again a few months later, and then I got flown home for the Young Australian of the Year awards thing. But I've been home three times. Since I left home, mm. and every time I go back, something's a little different.
0: Young Australian of the Year, you missed out on uh, on the award, but it's a sort of an honour to be nominated, really. I suppose, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I was happy to just be nominated. eh? Like it's, um, it's a, I, I'm quite humble about it, but I'm just very, you know, as far as it goes, I was amazed that I even got nominated, to be honest. But it was great to be there on the night and see all the other young Australians who are doing amazing things, and these are the
2: older ones too.
0: You've done a lot of great work. Now, just to, to wrap up, mate, as I said, you've been raising money for the Royal Flying Doctor Service, Drought Angels and Dolly's Dream. What have you raised? 55 cents and a, and a and an Isopole stick, have you? What's the story? Uh,
1: raised, I raised two, Bob. No. Um, as far as it goes, I'm at about 92 grand for the RFDS. Yep. About 52, I think, for Dolly's Dream or 53. Yep. I think the drought relief, I'm up to about, for I think about 15 grand, but yeah. I left a double. That one but yeah a little bit you know not really a dent in the grand scheme of things but i reckon it's all right just for one fella so
0: that <laughs> sort of shows that there are those of us out in the community that do care about what goes on and sometimes a few bucks here and there could add up to a big thing mate i think you've done a fantastic job thanks very much for what you've been doing there
1: oh thank you mate i appreciate it
0: good luck in your travels down the track Thank make you. make sure you keep me posted on where you are. Send me a text message or something like that, like you did the other day. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know we'll, we'll keep keep in touch. Where's Sam? We we'll, we ought to have a map with where's Sam on it. And, uh,
1: <laughs> oh well, I might re- I might need you when I get lost. I'll just give you a phone call if I've got oh, oh, and, uh, oh, look, I got reception. I
0: don't know it. where I am. <laughs> you can do that. It's a long drive across the Nullarbor, mate. Make sure you've got yourself a a spare fan belt and some water and stuff at
1: uh, oh, yeah, the 90, 90 mile straight I've actually got a brick and yeah. uh, a broomstick to shove in the cab so I can have a bit, of, a bit of a nap and uh, yeah as long as I don't get taken out by anything I will wake up in about four or five hours and I've done exactly two kilometres so uh,
0: you'll be right mate make sure you pull up and get a picture of yourself with Rui at the border there at the WA border we will do but- we love to keep track of what's going on and, and certainly when you get to Sydney mate I want to make that trip across the Harbour Bridge with you Oh, beauty. Oh, it'll be a bit of fun. Will be a bit of fun. Sam Hughes, thanks for joining us on The Road Podcast, mate.
1: Th- thank you for having me, mate. Great Have a time. good day. Welcome, you too.
2: A power nap can be your driver fatigue solution. If you're struggling to keep your eyes open while driving, you're in danger of falling into a micro-sleep and the consequences can be fatal. Pull over somewhere safe and take a 15 to 20 minute power nap and then continue on your journey. Visit our website to learn how to make the best of your power nap.
0: Powernap.org.au We've been talking about the endless spiral of rates being chased to the very, very bottom of the pile, the same spiral that sent Scots broke, the same spiral that sent virtually every other transport company broke. Bob McMillan came up with a bit of an idea about transparency and reform from the top down, which I shared with Gary Marne and Glenn Stirl at different times in productions that we put out on the on the show. So I decided to get Bob in rather than doing... Something to talk about. Let's give Bob a bit of a fair run this time, and we'll have a bit of backwards and forwards about this rates. Now, Bob used to write a column in Trucking Life magazine called Speaking Out. For those of you that don't know, I've got I've got a lot of time for Bob. He's uh, he sort of sort of opened my eyes to a few things, and it looks like I might lose a carton and beer to him at the moment because of my faith in in a, a, a government committee, which Bob, Bob tells me is probably not the best place to place me Faith. Bob McMillan, how's life up in Cardwell, mate? How's North Queensland today? Uh, well, it's a, a little bit
2: overcast, Mike, but it doesn't matter even if it's pouring rain. I still live in paradise. You sure do. Yes, and uh, there's plenty of photos on Facebook and my Facebook page to prove that, so we won't, <laughs> we, won't we won't dwell on that.
0: Righto. so we're going to talk about rates, mate. We're going to talk about this endless... Race to the bottom to uh, to get this very minimum rate going, a bit about the rate boards and things like that. Oh, mate, Dean Croke did a bit of a, was part of an inquiry back in the day and, and you've got a bit of a quote. Yeah,
2: Dean was, uh, after the 1994 uh, uh, RTF conference that we both attended, um, he managed to uh, be snabbled up by the ATA. Um, there was a little bit of argy-bargy in the background because he was just, uh, you know, uh, he was at a bit of a crossroads with his career and um, I saw it as an opportunity for him and the ATA to uh, enjoy each other's company, which they did for a while. In 1998, he, uh, off his own bat, through his own little consultancy business, Dean did a report called the Road Transport Viability Report. Now, I just, just want to read you the first paragraph of his executive summary. Quote, Anecdotal evidence has suggested that the road transport industry has been operating from an unsustainable cost base for many years. This report examines the current situation within the industry, that was in nineteen ninety-eight, in some depth, comparing it with other industries to determine the extent of the viability issue for road transport. Now, he he's saying that as the industry's been that's the end of the quote, by the way, that's been operating from an a, Unsustainable cost base for many years. Well, I can show that that goes back to 1976 when I started to uh, uh, realise uh, there was an issue with my costs. And and okay, we've been talking about rates and everything else since 1979 because that was one yeah. uh, one of the items of claim that the sustainable rates and whatever and uh, uh, there were attempts made that we've talked about. But the issue is not rates; it's costs. It's costs and cost recovery. Because there's a very simple reason why all these companies that have gone broke and are going broke, and I heard of another media one today that's closing the doors next month and there'll be all sorts of bloody trolling about, about it all over the place. Everyone will be beating their chest and coming up with theories and everything else. There's one simple reason why these people, these businesses fall over. And that's because okay. that's because two plus two does not equal seven. <laughs> No,
0: it doesn't. It never right. has. Now,
2: what we need to do is work out why all the proposed proposals that have been done in the past since 1979, um, the ARTFTW agreement, uh, different, you know, like uh, Truck and Life at one stage had a go at publishing recommended rates and everything else. But what we need to be doing is having the benchmark set on what the costs of operation really are. Now, we don't want... We don't want commercial and confidence information from the largest or most influential carriers. But what we need to do, and this is this is my, you know, this is developing my theory about working from the top down. Yeah. We need to have them registering what the line haul costs are for the different combinations in the different applications, like, you know, for, for a prime mover if you're towing a trailer for someone up to, you know, up to a, a triple road train or because there's plenty of subbing going on between Adelaide and Darwin and Brisbane and Darwin and across the paddock with, with double. So we need to sort of have maybe, uh, I don't know, probably the six or seven largest companies in the country and it's not hard to work out who they are, the six and seven largest companies that regularly use subcontractors. We need to be able to legislate for those to declare what the line haul costs are for them to operate the prime over or different combinations, um, either on a monthly or quarterly basis. Now, people can work out their own rates from that. That's 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 okay. But what you need to be able to do, and, and, and even our customers and, our, and, and and the people who use our services need to be able to do, is say, okay, um, Billy Bloggs was quoted to do this produce out of Adelaide. How can he do that? Like, he's, he's just undercut. ABC Transport, well, I better not say that's the name of a company. He's just just undercut. Alphabet Transport. Alphabet Transport. Alphabet Transport. That'll be better.
0: That's right. That's uh,
2: better. By $45 a tonne. That takes him down to somewhere between $18 and $22 a tonne below the going subby rate. It's actually, that's that's a bit of an anecdotal case this year that I'm I'm aware of. And, uh, I I, ha, I haven't had time to look back in my diaries to see how long ago or how long it took to get the subby rates up out of Adelaide by $18 a tonne, but it was a considerable amount of time. So if someone's got, you know, a declared costing that they can refer to, uh, they can know that this bloke actually cannot, you know, he might think he can do it and he'll have all sorts yeah. of excuses why he think he might, but people will be able to understand that he can't do it. And then when, when one of his trucks has safety issues down the road or one of his subbies uh, gets into trouble because he hasn't been paid, this commission that the, that the government and Glenn Stirl and all the boys are talking about and M- Michael Kane, this commission can be, can be approached and say, well, look, uh, these people are liable. They've, they've, they've undercut safety. They've undercut viability. They've continued the industry going down the path it shouldn't be going down.
0: There's a couple of things we can say about what you've just said, though, Bob. The first one of them is that it's a free market economy. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, it's all about you, supply you, and demand. I understand that, Mike. You, you, you yourself have said that people are just as free to go broke as they are to be successful. They are. Unfortunately, the damage that's done by someone who comes in and undercuts a rate to get the work. Yeah. I mean, but the the thing that, is, Mike, the damage is already the the damage is already done. Yeah. The problem
2: is, at the moment, they're flying below the radar uh, because there's no benchmark.
0: Someone like tolls would say, it's not up to us to uh, to tell you what our costs are. You need to work your own costs out and then decide if the, if the rates we're offering are acceptable to you. That would be yeah, the answer I'd expect from someone like Tolls. That's Toles.
2: the answer I would expect from them too. But if there was legislation in place that says, well, uh, you know, that situation can't continue anymore. Yeah. All right, I know look, it's gonna it's going to create some dramas because the you know, the, the the large associations are financed by the likes of Coles and all the largest operators. The union have got sweethearted sweetheart deals with them as far as having all the people joined up and the and the companies actually pay the membership fees and there's a story in yesterday's media I think about how all the unions are cashed up at present. So that's fine. I don't mind the unions being cashed up, but I'd like to see them, especially the TWU, putting that cash to good use for the benefit of the whole industry, not then, not just themselves or their members. I'd like to see the ATA and and the ALC and the Warehousing Association, Refrigerated Warehousing Association, being genuine enough to understand that they're all part of the problem and they need to be part of the solution, whether the, whether whether it's legislated or not. But I think it could be legislated because. Uh, so many of the things that could happen voluntarily, which which never would, um, would probably be uh, in conflict with the Trade Practices Act anyway.
0: In principle, I agree with what you're saying. In fact, I've said uh, several times, as you have, that legislated minimum rates can't happen. No. But legislating to make people uh, declare or say that the, their rate is sustainable and fair when required to by... Uh, say an arbitration committee or something like that, that is something that I think that is doable because yeah. at least at least then as the as the costs go up, as the price of fuel goes up, as the price of tires and maintenance goes up and wages then at least the rates have got to go up to reflect that. Yes well,
2: you know it's it's probably no different to regulating you know like when when public companies and some of these companies we're referring to are public companies on the share market. Yeah. When they do their annual reports, they've got certain guidelines they have to abide by for the A triple C and for the for ASIC. And yeah. um, you know, it's all all I'm suggesting is that working from the bottom up like everyone has been since the seventies, the, the first blockade happened over rates in Darwin over twelve months before Razorback. And I can't remember the fellow's name, but they, they all parked up in Darwin because they needed more rates out of a, the company that had the monopoly on the freight those days. And so this has been going on since 1978. So, well, they, they, I think they were 12 months planning that. So it's been going on since Truck and Life started in 1976. We might as well say. And all these different approaches haven't worked. So I'm just saying that we need to have a look at doing it in a different direction. And I, the more I think about it, the more I realise that it's not a not a, a a simple suggestion or a simple, you know, the issue is not simple, so the solution can't be. But all yeah. I'm saying is that the industry needs to be part of the solution, not continue down the path of being part of the problem.
0: Well, while we've got uh, no barriers to entry uh, into the trucking business, we're going to have issues. Mate, I'm going to take a break. We'll have a we'll have a quick break in here from one of the sponsors, and we'll come back with uh, with that question about no barriers to getting into the industry. Okay, mate. Okay, mate.
1: Hey folks, it's Simon here from the Atlas Balance Company. Don't go thinking Atlas Balance Rings is just for you Lion Hall Express boys. This is for running around town, doing deliveries right through to stock and grain carriers, side tippers, low loaders, car carriers and login rings. Check out atlasbalance.com.au and see the other operators you're passing on the open road. They're saving up
0: to 50% of their tyre life. Remember, it's Atlas, it's balanced. Alright, okay, we're back. I've got Bob McMillan with me. Uh, former author of the Speaking Out column in Trucking Life. He does something to talk about with us uh, on a regular basis these days. And I'm looking forward to seeing him in print again down the track in the near future, I hope. Bob, just before we went to the break, I said to you that there were no barriers to people coming into trucking in this country. But what I mean by that is anyone that's got the financial wherewithal can go and buy a truck. They don't have to buy a trailer, they can hire one or if they go and buy one, and then they're out in the market, they're going shopping on these load boards without any real knowledge of what they're doing, and basically doing whatever they like to the rates, and that affects all of us. Don't you think it's well past time that we had some sort of I suppose, barriers to entry, make sure people know what they're doing before they go and buy a truck? Well,
2: that's that's a whole different issue, Mike, and I have been involved in that debate in the past because uh, when um, I first started in industry politics, I was National Secretary for the ITA, the Independent Truckers Association, and we uh, modelled that association, Ron Burke and I, and a few others on the ITA in America, which was started by Mike Parkers when the Hoffa War started licensing was in, happening in America at the time and it was causing all sorts of headaches. It was, just, it, was yeah. it was worse than putting Dracula in charge of the blood bank because there was so much corruption. It was even worse than, than the, the inept nature of the, our road tax where some people could avoid it, some people could avoid all of it, some people could avoid none of it and those who couldn't avoid it went to jail. The license system, Mary, was just so open to corruption. But all that aside, in 1981 or 82, I think it was, My former wife and I got together and put together a proposal to the federal government that people should meet some minimum standard of education in management and finance before they can apply for finance to buy a transport business. That report is still gathering dust somewhere on someone's shelf in Canberra. I can't remember who I sent it to now. And the reason it is because the finance industry, who base their reality on the fact that they have got. 40% 40% potential bad business, 60% potential good, and what percentage of the 40% comes owns their profit margin. They had all the time and the money in the world to lobby against that proposal because they realised that any barrier to entry was going to adversely affect their bottom line. They actually make money out of repossessing vehicles and houses, Mike. That doesn't surprise Well, you know, it, it shouldn't surprise anybody, but apparently it does.
0: It strikes me, though, like if you feel like it, you can go and buy a half decent second hand Argosy for like forty grand. Yeah. And and a half decent flat top trailer for like twelve. And some chains and you know, some bolsters and things like that. And um, you can you can just go and do flat top work, cart steel, do whatever you like. And obviously with, with the advent of these load boards that we've been talking about a lot you don't even need to go through a transport company. You can just go and bid on the rates, bid on the jobs without any awareness of, of what it's really costing you to run. Of course, uh, if you own the truck, as far as you're concerned, it's all cream. Well, that's not the case, is no, it? No, it's
2: not the case at all. Um, in In that report, Dean said that the issue of most concern is that it appears that a large proportion of the industry's business units are generating a lower rate of profit than the rate of interest being paid to purchase its assets. And this is clearly unsustainable, he goes on. And and it is. But the thing is, I, I really do think that the uh, the finance industry has changed a lot with every other industry because of all the you – know, there's a lot more transparency with, um, with digitalisation and everything. You know, once upon a time, you, you could organise your finance payments to be every fourth Wednesday. Now, they've got to be a certain date and that you're out of luck if it's not a Wednesday and that's when you get paid. So there's been a lot of changes. And the other thing is that $40,000 anythings can probably be bought with a personal loan these days or your bank card.
0: Less than the cost of
2: buying a new car. That's exactly right. So with the load boards, mate, they need to be roped into whatever arrangements come to 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 regulate the industry somehow from the top down and I probably think that that needs to start with, with the chain of responsibility being turned turned upside down and inside out. And Yari Man hit it on the head when he said these people are responsible for undermining safety on our roads. Someone needs to find the intestinal fortitude, one, to say that and two, to act on it. Well, We've got the Queensland government saying the only way they can solve the increase in the road toll is to retest people for their licences. Well, what are they going to do about the shit roads and the bad attitudes and the fact that there's not enough drug or alcohol testing being done on the roads? Well, these
0: you know, questions that should be asked, aren't they? they? are, mate. You know,
2: like it's so easy to, to hide behind, you know, to, to trot out one issue, to hide behind the real issues.
0: And the, the real issue
2: here for you and me, what we're talking about today, is that the industry's been the cause of its own problems for all these years that we're talking about. Somewhere or other, we've got to find the people with the resources, the money, and the need to become more transparent and more ethical. And if uh, if companies like Scots and investment organisations like IES and Anchorage Capital coming in and raping the industry aren't an indication that we need to put a stop to something, uh, well, I don't know what is.
0: Just on that, can we just wind up with the, yeah. the idea? You and I have talked about... Scots and the way they went broke. There was a mention of the fact that they had uh, 40% of the refrigerated freight task in the country was probably directly under their control. They were carting most of it. Yeah, storing a lot of it too. Storing a lot of it too. Michael Kane said on this show that they didn't have the ability to have an impact or a control on rates. I think that you've got a bit of a differing opinion of that. I have a
2: very... A, a, a vastly differing opinion. As far as I'm concerned, if Scots had 40% of the market, as it appears they did have, and you know, and uh, Alphabet Super Grocery Company came to the said came and said to them, "Well, you've got to drop your rates, or you've got to charge, you got to uh, wait longer for your money." Uh, all Scots had to do was say no, because if there was if they had 40% of the market, where was that customer going to find a replacement in a hurry? I remember seeing all the shells there in 1979 and uh, in, uh, you know, after nine days of a blockade. We didn't even have just-in-time inventory then. Now we have just-in-time inventory and big companies like Scots and whoever's taken the uh, responsibility for all the freight that you know, they can no longer do. They all... Uh, occupy a, a unique position in the market, and because businesses are so large these days, you just can't—they're just not flexible enough to go somewhere else in five minutes' time. So all Scots had to do was have the management expertise and nows. But I think that the upper brass just stopped watching the middle management, and the middle management were worried—were more worried about who paid for the wine on Tuesday's lunch bill than they were about whether the company made money or not.
0: I made a similar observation to that—that that, you know the uh, there were be people out there selling the services of Scots without uh, really having an understanding of exactly what goes into running a business, what their operating costs were. And they were making the same mistakes that a lot of owner drivers make. They didn't know what it was costing them to run, just what they thought it was going to cost. And that's where they set their prices. And that was their downfall. Yeah,
2: well, I've spoken to some people I I know that used to work for Scots and it's patently obvious people that are looking for new employment have got a fair bit to learn because Scots, you know, and I don't know where it started or where it ended, but what happened with Scots is in the end they weren't selling a service, they were selling a price. And road transport being the essential industry that it is, being the, the uh, high cost, low margin industry it is, and you can survive in it. I've given plenty of examples on previous podcasts of the companies that are doing well. Um, not everyone, not every company in the industry is sick. Not every, not every aspect of the industry is sick. But certainly, what is needs to be fixed. We all we're selling a service here. It's an essential service, and the the essential nature of it means that you shouldn't be going broke doing it. That's why I say that it's so simple to understand that two plus two does not equal seven.
0: Maybe we should get it on a whiteboard and get a few of these telephone minders in and remind them of that fact.
2: Yeah, well, that's right. Just remind them that, uh, you know, they're not selling a price, they're selling a service. And if Mm. the more, you know, and and the other thing is the customer base needs to understand and needs to be, and this is probably a responsibility of the large companies uh, to, to reinforce, the customer base needs to understand that they're only going to get what they pay for. So if they want to pay shit rates, they better get used to shit service. Pardon the French.
0: Pardon the French. All right, Bob. Well, it's been very interesting to have the conversation with you. Obviously, we will talk to you again down the track and look forward to your something to talk about segments on the show. Thanks, Mike. And uh, I look forward to seeing you in print again soon.
2: Okay, well, that'll be interesting. <laughs> I, don't anyone, I don't know if anyone can read my handwriting these
0: days. We'll see how we go. Thanks, Bob. Right on, Mike. All the best.
3: Kermie here from Truckin' with Kermie. I listen to On The Road podcast every week. And when that's done, you might like to pop over to Truckin' with Kermie on Facebook for my take on trucking and the people who make the industry what it is. Catch you over there, and in the meantime, take care of you. G'day, it's Andy here once again, bringing you the best of the best homegrown Aussie music talent. This week, we're catching up with an old mate we spoke with on the podcast some time back when this great band had just released a new single called Lucinda. Well, they're back with an absolute killer new single called Gabriel, lifted from their broken, borrowed and blue album released mid-last year. The song is dramatic, gritty and fierce, with the acoustic guitar intro providing the calm before the musical storm unleashes. The band is currently heading out on the road once again, having performed at Tamworth and being named as finalists for awards in the International Songwriting Competition as well as the Tamworth Songwriters Association and Australian Songwriters Association. This band is not short on creativity. When perceptive writing meets a truckload of alternate country angst, we get this incredible soundscape where the lyrics cut through while guitars rain down like divine wrath. This new single speaks of the band's incredible versatility and reminds us why they're one of Australian music's most vibrant acts. The band, of course, is Copperline. And joining us today is lead singer, guitarist and keyboardist, Brad Christmas. G'day Brad, it's great to have an opportunity to catch up with you again.
4: It's a pleasure to be back with you, thanks for having me back
3: on. Absolute pleasure. Now, last time we spoke was when Coppeline had just released the beautiful song Lucinda. Yeah. And it was at the time when finally COVID restrictions were beginning to ease and you were delighted personally to be able to see the faces of your audiences again without being hidden behind masks. (laughs) I guess we've slowly been making progress since then and certainly music lovers who've been starved of live music for so long now, they're back in droves making the most of it.
4: Absolutely. Yes. No, it definitely feels like it's back to normal and even, you know, bigger than normal, I guess. This year especially has been a really good year for us live. Mm. We started the year like most years in Tamworth and we had our biggest Tamworth yet. think we racked up about 15 shows in 10 days. We were running around like busy bees. Yeah. So that really set the tone for the year, you know, there were lots lots of people there. Lots of our old contacts that some that we hadn't sort of seen since COVID were sort of back online booking shows. So that feels like it's in the rearview mirror now, that COVID era.
3: Yeah. Uh, And I guess one good thing to come out of it, I suppose, we've all learned that we'd been taking a lot for granted before then, hey?
4: Absolutely. Yeah. And I I think that applies sort of on and off stage. Yeah. I think audiences are a lot more appreciative of what they missed, you know, coming Mm -hmm. out in numbers. But Also for us performers, I think it was just a reminder of how important live performance is to what we do. You know, when that part of our industry was taken away, it left a huge hole. Yeah. You know, personally, it's what I do music for is to make that connection with people. And yeah, without being able to do that, felt like a big hole in my musical life. So yeah, I've come back to it with a newfound appreciation for how lucky I am to do it and how important that aspect of my job is. Yeah, I think we've all
3: got that new appreciation. You talked there about Tamworth. Copperline hit the main stage at Toyota Park this year. That must have been a hoot, mate.
4: Absolutely, yeah. No, it's something we've been wanting to do for many years. You know, we've sat out there in the audience a lot and watched a lot of people on the main stage. So to be up there was a real buzz. Yeah, when you're used to doing, I guess, smaller venues and (laughs) pubs and clubs and things, it's just a real novelty to be on such a big stage, you know, with big sound and production. and And a huge crowd. To look out and see your faces, it was great. Yeah.
3: Mate, when it comes to songwriting, you guys have a style that's all your own, but there's often comparisons with the likes of Steve Earle and Tom Waits. That's a pretty big rap, mate.
4: Yeah, well, I'd be thrilled to be put in the same sentence as those guys. They're um, titans of songwriting. But sure. yeah, I guess I would like to think that we've taken a little bit of that. You know, looking at someone like Steve Earle, you know, I, I just love the earnestness of his songwriting. He kind of captures real stories and real characters and there's, there's an honesty and a, and a genuineness to the songwriting that I aspire to. If I can get at least 10% of it, I'm doing well, I reckon.
3: You certainly are, mate. And, and I guess there's inspiration there between Steve Earle and Copperhead Road and James Taylor and Copperline. There's the band, no?
4: Well, that's right. When we were in the studio making our first recording, we sort of sat down and thought, well, we're going to need a name for this band. Yeah. And we just cottoned onto that idea of we loved bands that channels artists or songs that they're inspired by. So we're thinking yeah. Powderfinger was named after the Neil Young song. Yep. Yeah. So we just sort of cottoned onto that idea and Popperline sort of came up and it was one that we could all agree on and one that sort of referenced two of our favourite artists, as you mentioned there. Yeah. So it stuck and people seem to resonate with it.
3: For sure. And it's no mean feat when you can get the whole band to agree on it.
4: Exactly. Well, as soon as we found one where there was consensus, we pretty quickly leapt on
3: it. Yeah, nail it down now.
4: Exactly.
3: We're going to have a listen to your new single, Gabriel, shortly. But before we do, let's just talk about it for a moment or two. I wasn't sure what to expect. And when I sat down to listen through the first time, and I've listened to it many times now, there was one word that kept floating around my head, and the word was just simply, wow, what a massive song it is, Brad.
4: Yeah, I'm I'm really glad that's your reaction. That's definitely what we were trying to achieve with it. I guess a lot of our more recent singles have been on the, I guess, more gentle, introspective side, sonically. Mm. But this one, we really wanted to explore our kind of rockier, grittier side, which is definitely a part of what we do and our musical background. Mm. So we went into the studio with, I mean, as with all our stuff, we were lucky to work with Shane Nicholson on this track and yeah. sort of explained what we wanted to achieve, you know, a bigger, almost kind of southern rock kind of sounds with this track. Yeah. And I thought he captured that beautifully.
3: Oh, big time.
4: With the lyric, it was actually the lyric for this was mostly written by Richie, our bass player. He was channeling a feeling I think a lot of people had during the COVID years when we saw a lot of people in positions of power and authority, you know, behaving in a way that we <laughs> it was a bit disappointing, a way that, you know, we weren't expecting and I guess it was just a cry for a little bit more honesty and decency compassion and empathy at a time when there wasn't a whole lot of it yeah for sure you know yeah yeah and there was sort of an aspect of frustration in that no i think that's what we wanted to capture in the music there was a little bit of anger and frustration that we wanted to capture in the sound as well as the lyric yeah for sure
3: well you certainly did mate it's just so powerful thank you in amongst all this music you've been making brad you're also now a published author congratulations with your novel saltwater boy now released by walker books australia What's the story all about it without giving too much away and spoiling the end of it for us?
4: Thanks for that. Yeah, that's another, I guess it was sort of a COVID project. Quite a few years ago, I wrote a short story. of. I spent much of my childhood growing up having holidays on the beautiful south coast of New South Wales. Oh, you too. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) it's a great part of the world. You know the area? Oh Well, we had many years down
3: at Kiama, at East Beach at Kiama down there,
4: yeah. Oh, yes, yeah, or just up the road. I've still got a connection here now. I was lucky enough a few years ago to buy a little shack, which is where I'm talking to you from, at a little town called Manyana, closer to al on the south coast.
3: Oh, yeah, beautiful.
4: But yeah, over the course of many summers, I built up a friendship with a local group of Aboriginal fishermen in the area mm. who took me under their wing and sort of gave me a lifelong love and passion for, for fishing. So I wrote a short story about that and one thing led to another and a publisher saw the story and thought, would you like to develop that in a longer novel? And hmm. I did, and COVID actually gave me the time to sit down and, and, and work on it and flesh it out into something longer. Yeah, and it was just released last month, and it's called Saltwater Boy. Yeah, it's a novel primarily targeted at young adult readers, mm-hmm. but a lot of big kids are enjoying it as well. And the publishers sort of marketing it as to kids of all ages, kids from 15 to 80. Yeah,
3: yeah, good. Well, I'm right in that. Yeah. So give it a plug, mate. Where can we get it?
4: Available in all good bookstores. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit some of a big change, Dimmicks and Collins. Wow. A lot of local independent bookstores are, are selling it, and that's where I really encourage people to go. It's another business that's struggling at the moment, some of them, so your local bookseller is a great place to go. But it's also available online through Booktopia and Amazon, etc. so you can order it online as well. Fantastic. So
3: what lies ahead for Copperline across the rest of this year? More live shows, more writing?
4: Yeah, well, both of those things, basically. Yeah, we've got a a string of shows coming up in the next little while. We're headed out. We're actually headed down to Victoria in a couple of weeks, down to the Le Monde Hotel on Friday the 28th of April, Mm -hmm. and then out to the beautiful little town of El Dorado, which is sort of near uh, Wangaratta, on um, Saturday the 29th. And then heading to Cooma on Friday the 12th of May, that's the Alpine Hotel. Yeah. And then Queen on the, the Saturday the 13th of May, Um, mm. that's the tourist hotel. Yeah, we just wanted to get busy out there playing. One of our little New Year's resolutions at Samarath was to try and play every state and territory this year. Good. So... We will have knocked off a couple. We will have knocked off three by the end of May. But, yeah, we've got plans to travel even further throughout the second half of the year. So people are interested in the music, just like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and that's where we'll keep you up to date about all our tour plans. Fantastic, yeah. Yeah, while we're doing that, we are, as you said, we're, we're busy working away on another album. We're always in the process of writing stuff. Everyone's got ideas and sort of keeps us fresh and interested, I think, always sort of looking to the next thing and staying creative. So I reckon we're about halfway through the process of writing songs for a new album. Oh, great. So probably not this year, but probably early next year, we'll look at getting in the studio and and putting something else out there.
3: Fantastic. Mate, so for those guys who might be driving at the moment, didn't get a chance to jot any of that down, You mentioned Facebook. Is it still best just to search Copperline Music on Facebook?
4: Yes, yeah, Copperline Band. Copperline Band. If you search for Copperline there, you'll find us, but we're we're Copperline Bands. Okay. And on Instagram, we're Official Copperline. And we've also got a website, which is copperlineband.com, And so that's updated with all the latest information. Okay. So those are pretty good places to stay in touch with what we're up to.
3: Yeah, great. Well, if you can't find one of them guys, you're just not trying hard enough. (laughs) Our guest this week has been brave enough to come back and chat with us a second time. Is Brad Christmas from Copperline. Brad, it's been awesome catching up again. Thanks for finding the time to come out and play on the road with us once more.
4: Oh, my great pleasure. Thanks for having me back on. It's always lovely to chat to you.
3: Now it's time for us to have a listen to your new single.
4: Brad, would you please introduce it for us? I certainly can. I'm Brad from Copperline and this is our brand new single, Gabriel.
5: In the darkest moments of our darkest days, we reach out to you. Won't you show us the way we reach out to you? Protect the children, wrap them in your wings, wrap them up now. Protect them from their father's sins, wrap them up now. Give us strength, give us love, give us protection. Sound your horn and let it be heard. Give us life, give it now, give us redemption. Sweet Gabriel, bring down the flower. Fear. The wicked will soon learn The angel of the Lord has appeared Rain down your vengeance Those who prey upon the weak For the righteous and the wretched The innocent, the meek Make them pay now Give us strength love, give us protection, sound your horn, let it be heard, give us life, give it now, give us redemption, sweet Gabriel, bring down the final word, sweet Gabriel, bring down the final word.
3: There's nothing more devastating for a truck operator than to be involved in a serious road incident. We've all seen the impact of heavy vehicle accidents and at these times, when people are most vulnerable, it's critical that they have immediate support from a strong, stable, reliable and experienced organisation. For more information, visit the website at nti.com.au or go to the NTI Facebook page.
6: Here on the road, it's time for the
3: news. Howdy Mike. Now I hear you've been in for a bit of nip and tuck mate or something along those lines.
0: But a little bit of a shoulder repair and, uh, yeah. I'm enjoying the drugs at the moment. That's all I can say, mate. I wouldn't want to be licking a strip at Marulan because I reckon I'd make the boys' eyes light up down there.
3: Yeah, you wouldn't want to be doing it without those meds, mate. That's for sure.
0: Well, I don't think, look, mate, I honestly, I couldn't think of anything worse than actually sitting behind the wheel at the moment. I don't think I could maintain the concentration for long enough, to be honest yeah.
3: with you. How was your surgeon? Decent bloke?
0: Surgeon was a decent bloke, Yeah. Yeah, I'm right.
3: good. I was just wondering because I had read somewhere that since COVID, there's been a big mm-hmm. rise in the number of doctors who've actually decided to leave medicine and take up new careers. Is that right? Yeah, quite a lot, quite a, a large percentage. I heard of one particular doctor. He was a proctologist. Right. He decided to make a complete change and become a diesel mechanic. Is that right? Quite fitting for the the podcast. So he went to TAFE to get the skills and the qualifications that he needed and eventually found himself completing the course and waiting on the final exam results. Mm -hmm. So the teacher told him he topped the class and scored 300%. Right. So the doctor asked him, he said, how could I get such a high score? And the teacher said, well, the first part was to completely disassemble the engine, which you did perfectly. So there's your first
0: 100%. Yeah.
3: The second part was to rebuild the engine from scratch, and again, you did it perfectly. Right. So there's your second 100%. As for the third 100%, we couldn't believe it because you did it all through the exhaust pipe.
0: <laughs> uh, oh, dear, oh, dear. Because I, I just knew something like that was coming.
3: Yeah, it's a bit uh, obvious. Eh? Uh,
0: anyway. I thought I might have been dealing with holes or something like that, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> there's
3: a million lines you could... Yeah, and we won't. <laughs> Mike, as the Australian Heavy Vehicle Industry Week was launched in Brisbane this week, amongst all the hoopla and excitement, it reminds us that the countdown is well and truly underway for this year's Brisbane Truck Show.
0: It sure is, mate, and it's going to be huge there too. The HVIA Chief Executive Todd Hacking said this year's event's going to be the biggest and most innovative heavy vehicle events program to be delivered in Australia, and I won't be surprised. By hell, they've got some stuff on, mate. Mm-hmm. Apart from the actual truck show, they've got the South Bank Festival. They've got that uh, Mac Anthem there that was made out of Lego bricks. I can't wait to see that. Yeah. They're going to have uh, Rock on the Riverside live. There's Electric Avenue because there's going to be the largest display of zero emission trucks anywhere in the Southern Hemisphere, apparently.
3: Yeah, I'm really excited about that. Yep.
0: Oh, yeah, I'm sure you are. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it's one of those things, isn't it, where you and I have been uh, been sort of nipping around the edges of the electric vehicle thing. I think we do have to come to the belief that they've got a bit of a place, and obviously we're going to see the best of the best at the truck show, the electric avenue display on Little Stanley Street, they're calling it. Mm. There's going to be some complimentary concerts. There's going to be Live at South Bank, Eat at South Bank, Q Music, mate. Just goes on and on and on. Yeah. The uh, accommodation there is probably pretty much booked out. They're expecting 40,000 people to attend over the four days, mm. and I wouldn't be surprised if it uh, doesn't go a little bit bigger. All of us uh, from On The Road podcast and On The Road radio are going to be there. We're going to be doing a few live broadcasts and a bit of taking it to the streets. and Generally, uh, I'll, I'll be looking for me mate Adam Gibson because apparently he's got control of a bar there somewhere, so I'm going to have to find out where he is. Our NTI sponsors are going to be there in in full force. I think Adam being anywhere near a bar might be a little bit dangerous. We'll have to check that out though, won't we?
3: Yeah, well, it's good if we know someone behind the
0: bar. That's a great start. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Mate, Rose is going to drive me up because I'm not allowed to drive at the moment. I won't be allowed to drive for a little while. and um, Obviously, I need adult supervision at a truck show because I could just go completely off the rails there.
3: Mate, so. you need adult supervision everywhere you go.
0: I do too
3: (laughs) if you're happy and you know it shake your meds
0: that's right that's right nah it's going to be big mate really really looking forward to it
3: good well Mike the most powerful Japanese truck available in Australia the Fuso Shogun 510 has earned its place as one of the top four finalists in the inaugural Truck of the Year Australia Awards with the winner to be announced at the Brisbane Truck Show next month
0: everything's happening at Brisbane the Fuso 510 the Shogun yeah now They'd have to be pretty happy because they're in some pretty good company there with the three other finalists. There's the man t g three, the Kenworth k two twenty and the Aveco S way. All good trucks, and will be interesting to see who comes out on top. Obviously, you know there are four different trucks that really are aimed at at four different jobs in trucking, I suppose. Obviously, your K220s, your big linehaul B double truck, and these five ten fuzos are probably quite adequate for doing changeovers and things like that. Mm. Now we could talk about the options and the accommodation issues and everything like that, but the you now everyone loves a Japanese truck. Mm. If you're if you're doing uh, container work or something like that round town, these Japanese trucks are really, really, really very, very cost effective the cost of ownership of them is pretty low they're pretty fuel efficient they're good trucks to run and you can damn near buy parts from in the milk bar now so mm. Fuso have always been good as far as that goes they've come a heck of a long way and I'll be surprised if the thing don't do well mate
3: yeah, well, I'm just wondering. You know, with a lot of the expensive cars and things you can buy, they have they they come with things like you know standard luggage that goes with it and whatever. Do you get a free samurai sword and a sumo wrestling nappy or something with this?
0: <laughs> I don't know, mate. Last time I bought a truck though, I I got a uh, a bag and a jacket and all with it, and uh, I was pretty fond of saying that the bag cost me two hundred and thirty thousand dollars. I gave me the truck for free. <laughs> a free truck, yeah. <laughs> but uh, who knows? I mean, there's a lot of stuff they sort of give away with these trucks. I'll be looking forward to see the thing. Mm. I uh, have had some words with guys that have actually driven the uh, the, the Fusos. My brother's actually driven one. Yeah. And uh, the only thing he really didn't like about it was the driver's seat. He reckoned the driver's seat was pretty ordinary. Mm. But apart from that, he said the truck was pretty good. The finish on the inside was pretty good. and it And it did what it was supposed to do. And really, I suppose that's all you expect from a truck.
3: I guess their seats would be styled specifically for Japanese-sized drivers, not larger Aussie truckies.
0: Yeah, well, I don't know about that. I know that my, my brother and I are certainly sort of larger than average size, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe maybe something in, in what you say. These things have been pretty extensively tested. They look like they're going to go the distance, I suppose. Let's see how they go at the show.
3: Yeah, for sure. Now, trucking industry heavyweights have called for the raising of axle load limits and the need for all levels of government to work together to change legislation in this regard.
0: Mm, I see what you did there, mate, trucking industry heavyweights. Mm. That means they're all overweight on the steer. That's what that means. Now, remember we had a chat ages ago when uh, the Janus electric truck was looking like it was going to run into trouble because it was a few hundred kilos heavy on the steer? Remember we had that conversation? I do. Well, Janice solved the problem that these guys are talking about. In Europe, we obviously have different steer weight limits to what we have here in Australia. And uh, we're a little bit conservative here in Australia as far as steer weights go. Janice solved the problem and they had their Western Star out running because they could get that weight under that six and a half ton mark, 6,500 kilos. Mm-hmm. The Volvo trucks and the other electric trucks are sort of struggling to get there with that. And it's always going to be difficult when you're looking at the configuration of the trucks. Now, having said that, we look now and we see that in South Australia in the coming May, Janus have got that. 170 ton rated Volvo FH16 they converted and they're going to be running that around carting these trailers out of the mines there, the 165k round trip back to Wyala to the mine. Mm. They've obviously solved the problem there as well. So I I don't want to be hard on Volvo or these other manufacturers that are having a little bit of a cry about the weight limits because I agree the weight limits are too low. But Janice solved the problem and I think that if Janice can solve it, they should be able to too.
6: Mm.
0: We shouldn't let too much go as far as what our uh, Australian standards are, in my view. We've had the standards there for a reason. Now, I don't want to try and say that we we shouldn't have some more weight. I think we probably should have seven ton on the steer, Mm. but I don't think we should be getting too much past there. That's more than enough, in my view. Of course, I could be wrong. Volvo are obviously going to have their say about it. There's going to be a lot of lobbying going on. And uh, getting those Australian uh, standards changed is not an easy thing to do. Amendments to the rules are sort of something that don't happen every day. That's the piece that's sort of missing in the regulatory framework, I suppose, the use of adjusting these Australian standards. We have to allow heavier trucks on the road, I suppose. The electric trucks, the hydrogen trucks, are being called vital to opening up access to new zero-emission heavy vehicles. There's a whole conversation we can have about this. They're not zero emission. They never were. They never will be. Mm. There's a conversation we can have about that. Australia's been sweating the road asset for many years to meet productivity demands, they say. Well, there's a lot of things that we've been sweating. Proper road management is only one of them.
3: WorkSafe Victoria has laid charges on a gate manufacturer over a safety issue that caused the tragic death of a truckie on the company's site in Dandenong last year.
0: Yeah, look, this is a bit of a sad story. This mm. uh, gate automation system projectman is facing a single charge there for failing to ensure that persons other than the employees were not exposed to health and safety risk. They removed some parts from a gate. Unfortunately, the parts that they removed allowed the thing to be able to fall over. Yep. And uh, unfortunately the thing fell over on uh, on Mr. Baker and yeah, uh, he lost his life as a result of that. There are going to be some questions to be answered members obviously upset they said that they have lost a very good hard and loyal worker and part of the family too i would expect because memories is only a pretty small operation really everyone Mm. knows each other you know Mm. the matter's listed for a filing hearing in melbourne's magistrates court on may the 9th and we'll look to see what happens there as far as the developments go i suppose
3: indeed (laughs) And Mike, just to tidy us up for this week, our old mate Paul Andrews, better known by all and sundry as Sludge, is finally heading home from weeks of treatment in hospital and rehabilitation centre following his serious motorcycle accident on March 4.
0: He he did have another accident. He had one before Christmas too where he did himself a bit of a mischief. To say that Paul's been a little bit accident-prone over the last few months is a bit of an understatement, but he's always loved things that go fast, particularly things on two wheels, so... Hmm. Unfortunately, sometimes you'll you'll be injured if you do that he's going home for rehab uh, Wendy his other half is saying that it's going to be six months to two years and he may in fact never return to driving again bit sad really uh, because as she said and as he said when I last spoke to him driving is his life that's that's what he it's what he does it's what he made his name doing mm. They've started a GoFundMe page to help him out. You can go to bigrigs.com.au and you'll see the story there uh, about Sludge and there's a link to the GoFundMe. I'd encourage everyone to go and spare a few bucks if they can because contrary to popular belief, all these guys that did outback truckers, they, never, they were never ever paid for doing that. None of them mm. were ever paid for doing that. So uh, Sludge was just an owner-driver and uh, sharing the life and lifestyle with the viewers but never, ever received any compensation for that. And, uh, like, have you ever felt entertained by Sludge and what he was doing? Go and uh, go and make a bit of a donation because the man's in for a long, long rehab and I feel his pain. I really do.
3: No, oh, absolutely, mate. Sludge, if you're listening, buddy, all us motorcyclists have a story at some stage of our life about something that happened on the bike yep. and uh, that we pass on to all and sundry. you got two now, mate, so stop it, <laughs> all right? Now stop it. Yeah. <laughs> Thought for the week, mate.
0: I'm waiting with bated breath.
3: Though nobody can go back and make a new beginning, anyone can start over and make a new
0: ending. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. Hmm. Yeah, that's, a, that's a little bit interesting, that one, mate.
3: It is. I've had so many start-overs and new endings begun. I, I don't know whether I'm coming or going. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, been, that's just I've me. I've been
0: coming and going for years, mate, I tell you. Yeah. Right, eh? Well, thanks for joining us on the news. Uh, appreciate your, your time, mate, for coming out and playing on the road.
3: Always a pleasure, mate. You uh, keep your feet up, stop shoulder-charging people, and uh, yep. give it some rest and get better. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. See yeah. Bye.
6: April 1979 and a cast of thousands of disillusioned truckies were making history, setting up a series of blockades the likes of which had never been seen before and most likely will never be seen again. Led by Ted green Nog Stevens and a small band of dedicated individuals, this massive wave of protest against unreasonable working conditions, unfair pay rates and unjust laws spread like wildfire from its home base atop Razorback Mountain. Razorback The Real Story is the book written by Ted Stevens that chronicles the dramatic days of the blockade, the battles with politicians and the media, and that time in history when truckies around the country united in a powerful force and said, enough. Razorback The Real Story has now been made into a beautifully produced audiobook, available for purchase at ontheroadradio.com.au. Whatever you do, don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to discover all the facts and details of the Australian tracking legend that is simply known as Razorback.
5: Line number one, you're supposed to have it all together. And when they ask how you're doing, just smile and tell them, never better.
3: We just wanted to stop by for a moment and say, G'day, how are you? No, I mean, how are you, really? Physical and mental health is a significant issue for the Australian road transport and logistics industries. Risk factors like long hours, workplace isolation, pressure to meet deadline deliveries and the need for continual alertness all contribute to making us vulnerable to physical and mental health issues. As much as it might feel that way sometimes, you are not alone. There are some incredible people and organisations in our industry whose sole focus is on helping you to stay healthy in body, mind and spirit. All these numbers and addresses are listed on our website at ontheroadpodcast.com.au. Take care of yourselves. We really just want to see everyone get home safe and well. Oh,
5: am I the only one who says I'm fine? Yeah, I'm fine. Oh, I'm fine. Hey,
6: I'm fine, but I'm not. So let the truth
5: be
3: told. It's time to bring back this week's featured music artist with another song. Showing their incredibly diverse range of musical styles, here once more is Copperline with Woman's Touch. the Road is proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer, and Queensland Rail, committed to improving safety through engineering, innovation and education. Play nice with each other and most of all, stay safe out there. Bye for now. Bye bye. The team here at On the Road believe in the right to free speech and whilst we might not always be in agreement with the views of our guests and contributors, we support their right to hold and express those opinions.